one of my favorite topics. Here comes another Mars 2020 update. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Robert Hogg, Deputy Mission Manager of the NASA Mars 2020 Project. Welcome back, Robert. Thank you. Great to be here, Tanya. So it's been about a month since our last visit and candidly, a lot has happened. What's the health status of both the rover and the helicopter right now? Yeah, we've, uh, time flies that on, on, when you're living on Mars time, a lot has happened since I was last on your show here. Um, we've been driving, we deployed the helicopter, uh, ingenuity of the helicopter. We've done the first three flights um, in the history of the human race. Um, and, and to answer your question, uh, Perseverance is, is in exceptional health. Um, we have one little, uh, one little transducer on one wind sensor that is, is not talking to us, but we've got many, many transducers. So everything's working as far as uh, detecting wind and Perseverance uh, Ingenuity, the helicopter is also in phenomenal health. And from what I hear, um, the power system is, is working beautifully. We're getting way more electrons on the solar panels than we expected. And uh, so anyway, both Martian surface systems are in uh, great shape uh, as we speak. Okay, so let's talk about one of the things that we've learned. Tell us about the oxygen extraction experiment performed by Rover. Yes, so um, one of our seven instruments is called uh, MOXIE. And I don't remember what that stands for, uh, but I can look it up for you. It, it's um, a, a, a technology demonstration put together by uh, Mike Hecht, a professor at MIT and some of his students. And essentially, they, I'm gonna guess about a decade ago now, maybe uh, they, they uh, figured out a way of generating oxygen from carbon dioxide, which is what we breathe out using a, a stack of metals and getting it up to a certain temperature and putting some electricity through it. And you, you essentially can make oxygen and, and a byproduct of carbon monoxide. And so uh, they spent years with our help at, at the Jet Propulsion Lab packaging up that, you know, tabletop bench of lab equipment into a golden box the size of a, of a, of a toaster. Um, and it's sitting on the front right of our Perseverance rover uh, with a direct access to the, the Martian atmosphere. And uh, this last week, we did other checkouts with it, but this last week, we <laughs> literally generated oxygen on Mars for the first time ever. So it took in CO2 from, from the atmosphere, of which there's a lot, I think it's 80% or something. Um, and then it spit out oxygen and carbon monoxide. And so it was, it was, a, it was a quick first uh, version of that. So we're gonna do longer runs later, but uh, we were thrilled. I mean, the, the fact that you know, they managed even to get this thing packaged up and working and on the rover and it made it through launch and entry, descent, and landing, and shock, and vibration, and all the thermal cycles on Mars, and it is there, uh, terraforming Mars as we speak. <laughs> it's I, I kid about the terraforming because it would take a very long time to actually uh, spit out enough oxygen to, to make a difference, and also it'd probably float up off uh, out of out of uh, the Martian atmosphere. But it, it's a great 
first step um, to, to human exploration on Mars. Um, that this was funded by the Human Exploration Program at NASA. And so if you're gonna have astronauts on Mars at some point in the future, they need to breathe air. And then you can also take that oxygen. It's one of the main components for making uh, rocket fuel. And so uh, we could send a very large version of this um, oxygen generator, MOXIE, uh, on, on another rocket and land it. and uh, crank out the tons of rocket fuel that will be needed to launch people off of the surface of Mars at, you know, a fraction of the weight of getting something to Mars. So anyway, it's, it's literally the first step in the evolution of being able to make breathable oxygen for people on Mars and being able to make uh, the major, a major component of rocket fuel that will be needed as well. That is so stinking exciting. And if it wasn't enough, you've also been, as you put it, flying humankind's first extraterrestrial helicopter across the surface of Mars. Fill us in on yeah, that. Yeah, it's that 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 is another technology experiment that's uh, captured the world's attention, and uh, we're just we're just thrilled uh, in every aspect of what's happened there. It it, it, it was high risk, uh, high reward type activity. Um, the Martian atmosphere is uh, about 1% of Earth's atmosphere by pressure. So, uh, you know, I like to, to tell uh, students that, that if, you, if you blow on your face with your hand on Mars, then you'll feel, you know, a hundredth of that. Um, and, and so people think, well, you can't fly a helicopter under those conditions. And they're right, it's totally nuts at, at uh, 100 in Earth atmosphere, that's equivalent to 100,000 feet up in altitude. And I believe the highest uh, that an Earth helicopter has ever flown is something like 45,000 feet, 48,000 feet. So this is more than double the height of any Earth helicopter by, by pressure. Uh, but it turns out if you make a pretty thick uh, carbon fiber blades and you have a very light uh, helicopter body with all the electronics and heaters and everything inside and you spin those blades at about 2400 2500 rpm which is five times faster than you know an earth helicopter you can make a machine that will fly on mars and we've been talking about it for years we've been testing um prototypes the helicopter team did a i think in 2018 a a full-on test in a, our 25-foot space simulator chamber where we suck out the oxygen, or suck out the atmosphere, and then they had a, a gravity offset, uh, kind of like a rubber band or a spring to provide the, the, the Martian gravity. And so we proved it in a 25-foot chamber, but it is now flown on Mars 75 million miles away in the open Martian atmosphere. And um, it's it's just mind blowing. Um, I I uh, I happened to be so I was the mission the tactical mission manager on shift on the day of the first flight because um, I've been working with the helicopter team intimately for about six six years now and so by stroke of luck and and Mimi the helicopter project manager uh, also assigned me to be one of two people to lay eyes on the first video from the rover that we took. So Tanya, imagine you're in, in the surface mission support area 
in, at the Jet Propulsion Lab in, in Pasadena, California, and this thing has happened on Mars, it might or might not have flown. It, it then sends the results of what happened to the, the helicopter base station on the back right of the rover, which is an electronics box over a 900 megahertz radio modem. The helicopter base station transmits what happened in the flight to the rover main computer over a, a, a high-speed serial line. The rover main computer waits for an orbiter to go overhead the, the, on that day, it was the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it, it, it does a, a, a UHF uh, radio relay to the orbiter, downlinking information on what happened from the helicopter and the rover. Then the orbiter waits to get within line of sight distance to Earth as Earth is rising over Mars, and then it sends all that data to the Deep Space Network, to one of those big dishes that you see you know, in, in the movies, and then that sends it to our ground data system, and then I'm standing next to our chief imaging engineer, and he pulls up the mass cam video from the rover of what happened. And he pulls up these single frames, and we quickly op open it up in an image viewer, and he's paging through them. And he and I are sitting there going, <laughs> uh, I'm like, go faster down. And then it, we, they go down, and the thing, it skipped a few frames because we get the most important frames first. So it popped up to 10 feet. And I'm going, oh my gosh, it's flying and it's stable in flight. And then it pops down to the surface. I'm like, it survived the, not only did it fly, it survived and, and managed to land safely. And we put those, that image then up on the screen for everybody to see the whole helicopter team and the whole rover team and, and everybody went nuts. It was, it was phenomenal. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. How do you get any sleep? That's what I want. <laughs> Luckily, I'm on Mars time right now, which should be ending soon. So I don't. So, it, you know, it's just interest, excitement in, in, you know, times of adrenaline, like I was just describing to you um, that, that pulls through. But that, I mean, this is why we do what we do and why we spend, you know, years thinking about this stuff and meetings and whiteboards and you know, going blind, staring at spreadsheets that are nine times wider than your computer screen, trying to figure out things. And so it, it all leads up to these key moments. But it is compelling that, you know, there's, there's rarely other jobs out there where you can work on something for five, six, seven, or longer years of your life. And then in a few minutes time span, you're going to find out if all the meetings and the work and the spreadsheets and the designs and the equations, if it all worked and you and team were right and it did what you designed it to do for such a long period of time. And it's, it's, uh, it's quite an experience. So um, it's, why, it's why we send these amazing capable robotic craft out into the solar system to see what's there and so we're, we're living that right now. Well, you're doing a lot of research. You've obviously done some pretty amazing things so far. What, what, what have we learned about the weather at uh, Jezero Crater so far? We stood up recently a weather page, a Martian weather page, which the team um, uh, reviews to make sure everything's correct. And so 
the weather data that's coming down from our Meta weather station made by our, our Spain partners, uh, the information is going directly to this page. So right now it has temperature. I believe we'll have um, pressure and, and wind uh, coming up at some point, but I will uh, send that page to you so you can send it out to your listeners and they can get the daily weather report straight from our, straight from our rover. Who wouldn't want that? You mentioned the solar panels. Is there any risk of Martian dust accumulating on the vehicle's solar panels and maybe diminishing uh, generating cap capacity? So from what I hear from the helicopter team, yeah, that was a concern. And in, in the first pictures that we, we got of uh, Ingenuity, there was already dust on the solar panels. Du Mars is a very dusty place. And so we need to take that into account. Um, even with the dust that was on the solar panels, uh, they were saying that it was the, the power that it was generating was fantastic, better than they expected. And so we're able to charge up um, uh, quicker for the next flights that it can do than, than, than they had previously estimated. And after the first flight and the second flight, uh, I, I saw a power graph that they were showing where the power that the solar panels were, were generating before the flight was a certain level. And then after the flight, it was higher. And so um, by nature of flying on Mars in Martian wind, that tends to knock off some of the dust on the solar panels. And then, you know, it comes back up to life a little bit. Uh, this was something that actually we have prior art on with the, the MER rovers uh, from 2004-2005. Those were um, entirely powered by solar panels, which, which unfolded um, unlike um, Curiosity and Perseverance, which have, are nuclear powered. Um, so one of the failure modes, uh, strong failure modes, I believe that was in work on the MER robots was just so much dust that the solar panels would get so caked that eventually the rover wouldn't make it through the Martian winter where it's colder and you need more power to survive every night. Um, so the, the MER robots were designed to last three months. Um, um, and long story short, I believe some, some windstorms came along or some dust devils or some other wind and blew the solar panels off. And both MER robots like, you know, came back to life and survived uh, many, many more years, not, not only three months, but years, uh, a decade or more. Uh, so I think we're experiencing uh, a micro version of that with a helicopter. So what are some of the upcoming experiments and, and milestones that we should be watching for? Uh, let's see, we've got two more helicopter flight uh, flights on the books. Um, and then that will be the end of the helicopter technology demonstration, what one month of flying that thing around on Mars. And then we're gonna go back to um, commissioning and checking out our sampling caching system, which is the heart of our mission. Um, on Curiosity, uh, the, which is still going at, every day as we speak on Mars, it's, it's traveling all around Mars and doing science and taking drill samples and analyzing them and sending, sending the results back to Earth over the radio. Uh, with Perseverance, very capable sensor suite that we're going to use to find very compelling uh, science samples that we hope uh, show signs of, of 
past life, past microbial life on Mars. Um, and when we find prospective science samples, then we have this very complex autonomous robotic sampling caching system where we take a core sample and, and then uh, bring it up into our, our, um, our, our, uh, one of the tubes, seal it in the tube, bring it over to a, a storing station. We have uh, tens of tubes stored in the rover. And so we will be traveling around and finding the best samples and storing them in this sampling caching system. And it has its own uh, robotic arm for the handling the tubes and um, doing the seals and um, documenting the tubes. And, and all that is gonna be checked out um, right after the helicopter tech demo is done. And then we will be off uh, doing science uh, on, on in Jezero Crater, looking for that first sample to cache to bring uh, to be brought back to Earth with some future missions. Um, and then, uh, last thing on my mind, because I've been involved in this for uh, many years, is we are checking out. Actually, in the last few days, we are checking out our vision-based autonomous driving capabilities. Um, we have a coprocessor, uh, same processor as the main rover processor that is dedicated to computer vision. We call it the, the, the VCE vision compute element and has dedicated uh, hardware, field programmable gate arrays, FPGAs. And we feed uh, the rover's stereo cameras into the, the VCE and it runs through the FPGAs and generates um, stereo products, range maps, which we turn into digital elevation maps. Um, and we also do visual odometry with our VCE, where we take an image and, and find uh, features in the image using computer vision algorithms. And then another image as the rover moves. And then we compare how the features moved in both images and then thereby localize exactly how the rover's moving in 3D space, both attitude and position. And we just checked out uh, the first first two thirds of our visual odometry capabilities in the last few days. And I was thrilled to see that our VCE is working perfectly. Another big piece of hardware um, that you know, survived the trip. And with it, we will be able to do visual odometry to better localize as we drive. And then over the next couple months, we'll be doing various uh, toe, dip, toe dip steps into our autonomous navigation enhanced navigation software where we can literally tell, you know, Perseverance go two or 300 meters in that direction and avoid all the obstacles that you come across on your way and uh, let us know when you're done. And it, it's uh, building these range maps uh, while it's driving and it, it avoids obstacles that are above a certain height. It's looking for negative obstacles. So, you know, it won't drive off a cliff. Um, it has, um, very capable um, uh, high-level planner so that if it gets into cul-de-sacs, it can just drive itself right out of the cul-de-sac and continue on its way. Uh, so that whole capability will, will also be commissioning over these next weeks and months, and that will allow us to uh, book it across Mars. We, we instead of driving, you know, uh, with, with the ground-based rover planner drives, we can drive, you know, between 30 and 80 meters, something like that per day. But with our autonomous driving system, that becomes 
150 to 300 meters a day, something like that. Um, and so we will, we'll, and, it, and it's doing it five times faster than the Curiosity rover because of the, uh, the vision compute element and the FPGA, that extra hardware that we integrated onto this system. So that means we can get to the, the science targets and the areas that the scientists are interested in, in you know, a fifth of the time as we're driving and save many drive days and be able to spend more time on science. So when that's done, we will have commissioned all of the, the hardware and the capabilities on our rover and it's just ready to rock and roll and do just awesome science and, and take amazing samples over the next months and years. Congratulations on all your success. Can't wait to see um, Perseverance book it across Mars myself. So good luck with all of that. And uh, we'll be watching for your updates. Thank Robert you Hall. so much. Yeah, Thanks, Tanya. Great to be here. Robert Hogg, Deputy Mission Manager for NASA's Mars 2020 project. Robert, if somebody wants to follow uh, the mission or maybe they want to follow you personally, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, let's see. Uh, on, on the mission, uh, the uh, folks at JPL ha are standing up a very fast, <laughs> fast release um, uh, Twitter handle, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, you name it. I, I, I'll have to look it up. I think it's NASA JPL. But if you just jump on any of the social media platforms and search for JPL, it'll, it'll be the first one that you find. And uh, if folks want to find me personally, they can find me on Instagram at robert.hogg, H-O-G-G. Sounds great. Thank you so much again for your time, Robert. And uh, congratulations again on all your success. Thanks. Really appreciate it. And find more of my interviews or subscribe right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.